Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark Daly and Hamilton kicking off the very first race of the 2021 Formula One World Championship. And Mark, where did that winter go? It feels like it wasn't all that long ago since we were in Abu Dhabi wrapping up the season at uh, Yas Marina. And here we are just only a couple of months later. And it's weird. I was thinking today that we've technically already lost a race. What with the rescheduling of, uh, of the Australian Grand Prix till later into the year. But I don't actually feel like it's it's affected the start of the season. We're about, I guess, about ten days, maybe two weeks behind where you know the typical start of the season. But uh, I'm I'm amped up. I'm ready to go. Uh, by the time everybody's uh, downloaded and listened to the show or started to, we'll have FP1 in the bag. You know, about uh, seven hours away as we sit down to record this on uh, Thursday night, uh, March 25th. And I, I'm I'm it. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to sit down, plant myself in front of the TV. Even though there's a couple of days to go, even before the action on the track starts in in earnest for qualifying, and the race on Sunday. It's great. I'm I'm totally pumped uh, for this one. I got to say, I'm a bit of a social media fiend, and over probably the last ten years, I've I've paid particular attention to to Formula One and how Formula One trends on social media. And and I got to say that I haven't seen so much pent-up interest in a forthcoming campaign as this one. So it's probably, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Um, I've never seen anything quite like this during the Mercedes era. And I think it's exciting. Yeah. And I think I think Formula One is going to post blockbuster numbers this year. I think they're going to see a huge surge of subscribers for the F1 TV Pro app. Um, I think a lot of their traditional free-to-air TV providers are going to see bonkers numbers. I, I'm excited for all the reasons that we talked about. And not just because I'm being a, a, an F1 homer. I just think there's a lot of reasons to be excited. We can yep. potentially see parody this year. It's the last year of the current era. There's all kinds of interesting narratives. There's driver switches to fundamentally new teams. There's so much to talk about. And you're totally right. Like, I can't wrap my head around the fact that we should be bracing ourselves for the second race weekend of the year, not mm-hmm. the first. And it still feels like a compressed a compressed off season. You know what I mean? I know. It's the weird. Season was lengthened. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I echo all of your sentiments in terms of excitement. Yeah, it, it's just a, it, it's this is the best part. You know, I can't wait to get back to racing. And uh yeah, that I, I could go on about that at length, but but before we get into it, I want to get into the uh, the, the mailbag uh, tonight, and we had a nice uh, email from John Campbell checking in from uh, Philadelphia. I wonder if he's West Philadelphia, born and raised, and spent oh, the. Come yeah. on, <laughs> come on, you're better than that. <laughs> no, I'm not. You should know that by now. But uh, anyways, a really nice uh, message for, uh, from John. Uh, anyways, uh, he said, "I'm very much in the drive to survive generation of F1 fans. I now have an F1 TV subscription, which includes an archive of." races. What are some of the classic Grand Prix that you recommend to newer fans like me? So I've got uh, a couple that uh, I, I sent back to John. He's subsequently checked in and he's watched uh, one of them. Um, I, I'm going to just throw it to you and uh, we, because we haven't talked about this since uh, since we got the message. I just want to see, you'll pick three races out of, uh, you know, all the years you've watched F1 that you would say, you know, someone like John, who's, uh, you know, asked you, if you had to give me your top three races to watch, which ones would you pick? Hold on. I'm, I'm definitely not on the app right now trying to figure <laughs> well, the, this out. The, the people so, on YouTube could actually see that, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I realize that now. I'm not being super discreet. I still have a soft spot for, uh, for Abu Dhabi in 2016. I thought it was a 
It wasn't exactly the frantic finish, but it was great to see a championship come down to the last race. I loved Abu Dhabi in 2014 because the championship did come down to the last race and it was a double points finish, which has since been scrapped. Um, I loved Silverstone in 2018. Um, I loved Spain in 2016. Um, I, I didn't really love much between... 2010 and 2013. Um, I loved obviously Brazil in 2008. I thought that was a blockbuster, and I don't know if that's on the app itself, but that was the race that Hamilton came came from deep in the back of the field to secure enough points to take the championship after Felipe Massa was celebrating with Ferrari, thinking he'd won. Um, I thought that was a great race. Um, yeah, I think those would be the top ones for me. And if you went back to the nineties, obviously, and I can't remember which race it was, and I feel like an idiot, but obviously that race where Michael Schumacher created intentional conflict with Jacques Villeneuve in the hope of taking him out of the title race, which Jacques well, wasn't that, won. uh, Jerez, Portugal, yeah, Jerez, and, uh, yeah, Jerez in yeah, Spain, yeah. 97, yep. I think that was, yep. That was yep. a good one. Um, but yeah, those are some good ones. Absolutely. And by the way, I know he noted in the email as well. Hey, you guys, I know you don't really do a mailbag segment. We would love to do a mailbag segment. Send us more emails. If people send us emails, I promise you we will talk about them on the air. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we get emails just not frequently enough to make it a regular segment. So absolutely send them in. We'll we'll, we'll pick the best ones and read them out. And we all know that they're going to be good. So anyways, you, you actually took uh, two of my choices. I put down uh, Abu Dhabi 2016 because same thing was down to the wire. And I I think, uh, you know, I haven't gone back and watched it subsequently, but from my recollection, that race felt like it got, uh, you know, more intense as it went on and Lewis was slowing down. He was intentionally backing uh, Nico into Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel, who were running third and fourth, who were deliberately trying to keep the two Mercedes cars at arm's length and not try and get uh, get involved in that. So that was one. I picked uh, Brazil 2008 uh, for for the same reasons, because Felipe was uh, world champion for like, what, 20? seconds or something like that it was i mean he technically was world champion until uh, lewis crossed over the finish line so that was another one and then i I picked uh, three races from the 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 90s i'm sorry actually two from the 90s one from the 80s going all the way back to when i first got into it when i was a kid i picked a belgium 98 because that was that famous wet uh, race uh at spa when half of the field basically disintegrated on that first uh, corner turning into la source that was also the same one where michael schumacher ripped off the right-hand side of his car when he plowed into uh, David Coulthard, who was uh, touring around, uh, you know, after his car was having mechanical problems. I picked uh, Britain 92 because that was uh, the dominant year of uh, Nigel Mansell's world championship and the the Williams FW15B, still one of the most amazing Formula One cars ever built with uh, that had a lot of the technologies where they pioneered it. You know, it had, you know, ABS, traction control, the active suspension, which subsequently got banned. A lot of these uh, really set the groundwork for that one. And then Japan 1998, uh, which oh. was another title decider. And you you think that it was bad between Rosberg and Hamilton. Senna and Pros did that originally, and they did it way more intense and bitter and nasty. And uh, that's the race where the, they both uh, came together in that chicane right before the the, the pit straight at uh, Suzuka. So those were that. And then, you know, if you're, if you're a new fan, if you're a Gen DTSer who's just checking in for this year, you've just watched season three and you think Formula One is something that you'd like to see more, go back and just in recent history, check out Italy 2019, Charles Leclerc fighting off the two Mercedes cars for basically the entire year. And that really uh, shows us some of the excitement and the passion, especially from the Tifosi, from the uh, from the Italian, the, 
the Ferrari fans, uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's a that's a real good one to go check out if you're brand new to the sport. So total total self promotion. If you do watch the 2016 Abu Dhabi race, I feature throughout. Um, look for me. I am immediately adjacent. Uh, the starting two slots on the grid in the grandstand wearing a yellow Mercedes hat and a black Mercedes t-shirt wearing a Canada flag as a cape. And you can also <laughs> see me, you can also see me throughout the, uh, the podium celebration. So actually I might send some screenshots, just total self-promotion, total yeah. self-promotion. I will say though, that stupidly, 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 my wife and I were so eager to get on the track to watch the podium celebration. We left the grandstand before, um, uh, before Rosberg had actually she crossed the finish line and won the Grand Prix. So we actually missed the moment he crossed the finish line to win the race and started doing donuts. We missed yeah. all of that. We're standing behind <laughs> the fence waiting to get onto the track. So again, total, total, total um, hindsight's 2020. But yeah, I'll, I'll post a screenshot on the Twitter just so you can see. I, I was gonna Those s- are some great call outs. I was just going to say, yeah, no pictures where it didn't happen, but uh, obviously you, <laughs> you, you have no scruples and you're going to do it anyway. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, let's get into uh, the show. Uh, we, what we're going to do is we're going to, we've uh, each picked a couple of uh, storylines that we're really interested in that we're going to follow throughout the year. Uh, later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, just go over some of the you know the, some of the highlights, some of the uh, previous Grand Prix that we've seen at Sakir. I mean, it actually doesn't feel like so long since the last one, and it wasn't really because we had that back-to-back uh, uh, race weekends there just at the latter end of uh, of last year where we had Bahrain proper, you know, the the Grosjean race, and then also the the, the Bahrain outer ring, outer circuit, which I thought was awesome. You know, when when you look at the track map and you see the circuit layout and you see how that uh, that outer ring goes at Bahrain I thought it was really cool I mean they were lapping what in 55 56 seconds or something like that but uh, it was uh, certainly a uh, very cool and uh, you know it's great to, to, to get back I mean uh, I guess for the bubble's sake it works uh, pretty good for the pandemic measures and everything keep them all in Bahrain keep them all on the you know at the track hopefully and uh, it'll be great to, to get going so Mark why don't we pick uh, let, let's start with you uh, we, we got uh, about five minutes before we head into the first break here so let's take your first story in no particular order what are one of the things that uh, you're going to be looking at uh, for for this year what's your what's your big storyline yeah so one of them and i don't know if this is going to appeal to a ton of our listeners um so we probably get this one out of the way right away but CanCon. so here in canada we have this concept called canadian content and historically the canadian government has regulated how much canadian content has to be aired on tv and radio because we have to be able to protect canadian culture blah 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 blah. so i kind of want to ca- talk about the canadian um drivers in f1 and for me that's a big storyline this year and i'm actually going to reframe this segment and just say i'm going to talk about the north american based drivers in f1 to broaden in the appeal to our American listeners, who I think you said represent about 50% of our listener base. Yeah, it's amazing. Yep. We have two North American drivers. We have Nicholas Latifi, who's coming out of a rookie season with Williams, and we have Lance Stroll, who's going into what, year number four, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So year number five, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, Both of them are obviously well-funded. They both come from wealthy families. They're both phenomenal guys, great guys, great personalities, super charismatic. Um, I think Lance, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later, so I'm less concerned about him in terms of this segment. Obviously, you know, he's he's had a relatively interesting career. He's shown flashes of brilliance with flashes of mediocrity. He's had some reliability issues. He came into the championship in 17 after winning F3. He really struggled initially to get kind of come to grips with the, the car and the balance and the tires. Ultimately gets a podium in year one. So last year, and I think this is kind of where I want to focus this one. I think one of the big storylines for me that I'm going to be really interested in is Nicholas Latifi. And I think last year, a lot of people wrote him off simply because 
He was a Williams driver that underperformed relative to George Russell. And I think a couple of things that were in his favor, if you look at his performance last year, he was remarkably consistent. Now, he was terrible in qualifying, and I think if you look at any of his kind of interviews over the last month, he's acknowledged that. But this was a guy that didn't make mistakes on track because he literally couldn't afford to in that car because the team didn't have the money to rebuild it. Um, I think he probably went seven or eight races to start the season without a retirement, which is remarkable for any rookie driver. Now he is a little bit older, but I think one of the storylines for me is he's going to be in an improved car this year. They're bringing over the Mercedes gearbox and Williams has always been ferociously independent when it comes to the gearbox. So they're going to pair that Mercedes gearbox with the Mercedes power unit. It should be a better package. I am incredibly interested to see how he performs. He has a phenomenal benchmark in George Russell driving the exact same car. I think for him, his reliability was great last year. His maturity was very good. He has to be better at qualifying. He has to start outperforming George Russell in qualifying, and he's got to be able to secure some points this year because I don't know that he's guaranteed a seat beyond this year, regardless about the amount of money that his family's bringing to the team. But I think he could make a leap. But I think he has this fantastic benchmark in George Russell, and I'm dying to see how that storyline plays out, largely because, one, I know the guy. I've spoken to him many times. He's a great guy. He's a great Canadian. He reps the six. He reps Canada. Canada, but that's a storyline that I'm incredibly fascinated in. Yeah, you know, uh, there, there's a couple of points I want to touch on here, and uh, I, I love how you kind of broadened it out to the North American drivers, uh, <laughs> uh, Lance and, and, and Nicholas. But, you know, the one thing that I, I find absolutely, fa you know, fascinating is uh, when, when you think about it, you have, uh, you know, just literally miles from where we're sitting right now. We have the 49th parallel. We got the border with the United States. Massive country, you know, big population, you know, massive economy. And yet, you know, there is... It would appear that there is not a Formula One level caliber driver from the United States with the the, the funding. You no, know, not necessarily as a as a pay driver, but you would just think on just the size and the the, the population, everything that the USA has going for them, that one driver does not. And this is not like something new. This is something that's you know gone on for many 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 years. That there has not been an American driver in Formula One. Hopefully that changes soon. But that that I just find is a phenomena that is just uh, it, it boggles the mind. It really does. But uh, just going back to your your points about. About, uh, George Russell and uh, Nicholas uh, Latifi. I think it's uh, it's interesting too. If you look at George, twenty three, he's been in the sport for a couple of years now with Williams. Uh, you know, obviously he had that fantastic race uh, last year when he filled in for Lewis Hamilton uh, when he was out with COVID. And what he did in that Mercedes that one weekend in, in Bahrain was uh, spectacular. Um, you know, it's funny he's twenty three. Nick is twenty five. You know, I, he, he's he's actually older than I think. And uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I think this is this could potentially be a make or break a year for him because I mean he struggled in his rookie season you know now he's a sophomore he should know better I mean obviously the car wasn't great I mean there's a steep learning curve uh, in in 2020 and just obviously not made uh, any easier just with all the difficulties of having to you know compete in a you know a pandemic environment and all that so that's difficult and and Lance too I mean we've talked quite a bit about Lance I mean we we have done for years for obvious reason I mean like you say he's going into season five but also you know it, it is interesting because I mean theoretically we're we're 
expecting and hoping that we're going to see Aston Martin make a leap forward this year. I mean, whether or not that translates into reality or not, but it really is uh, interesting to see. I mean, he's, he's had some sniffs at success. I mean, there, there's definitely been something showing there. I mean, out of the two, I mean, Lance looks, uh, you know, he, he's uh, you know much further ahead in terms of his uh, development as a driver, his racecraft and everything compared to uh, Nicholas Latifi, which you would expect from a guy that's already been in the sports, uh, you know, the sport for several years. And of course, he's got, uh, you know, a, a big, big, uh, you know, I wouldn't say ego, but a big person uh, beside him in the garage and four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel. We know that Lance is soaking up everything he possibly can from Seb at the moment in terms of uh, learning how to be a better race driver. And just uh, some of the quotes that have, uh, Lance has been uh, making over the past couple of weeks has been interesting just watching Sebastian operate within the team, the feedback he's been giving, you know, from, from testing just about the card and things like that. So Lance is definitely going to benefit from that. And I think certainly that, uh, you know, once we get a couple more races uh, under our belt here too, I, th- I think that influence of having you know, a multiple world champion as your teammate, so r- regardless if the team is competitive or they're struggling a little bit, I think Lance is going to to, to, to definitely learn. I, I hope uh, based on what we saw in 2020 with Racing Point, that they can carry that momentum forward under this new guise as uh, Aston Martin. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, two very, very interesting uh, situations. And uh, I'll, I'll just uh, talk about it. But uh, one of the things that uh, that that I wanted to uh, talk about was just the, the, the changing demographics. I mean, you have the the grid is uh, you know basically split. Well, there, there's seven drivers over thirty and uh, thirteen drivers under thirty. So that was one of the ones I wanted to talk about. And I just noticed uh, what what the time is at. So before we launch into the next one, we're going to take a very quick break here on the Overtime Media Network, and we will come back and uh, kick it off. Um, I want to talk about the big three teams and uh, what their t- chances of success will be. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. And uh, thank you all for listening, for all of you checking out the show on YouTube. Uh, exciting times. We've got the first race of the season coming up just literally in a matter of hours now as uh, free practice gets underway at uh, Secure for the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. Been going since 2004. It uh, doesn't seem like that long, but uh, again, it does. Anyways, uh, I hinted at it just uh, before the break, Mark, and uh, there's a lot of things. We, we could probably break it down into a detailed analysis 
analysis of all three of the top three teams. But I'm really interested to see where these teams are going because, I mean, for the past several years, it was obviously Mercedes, then Ferrari, and then Red Bull was kind of close, but not quite close enough. And then we've kind of seen that dynamic change. Obviously, Ferrari dropped off the pace in 2019. Last year, they were nowhere to be seen. Red Bull, but before that, they were closing the gap and actually gotten in, in front of them, even before this whole engine controversy in 2019. That was already changing that uh, dynamic. And now just to kind of shake it up even more, uh, Red Bull has added uh, Sergio Perez, so they get a very strong driver lineup uh, you know, with Max and with Sergio going into this year. It appears they're throwing everything at it, uh, the, the Honda Power Unit, that, uh, that this last year that they're going to be officially an F1 before they get uh, rebranded and taken over and become uh, you know, a wholly a Red Bull uh, engine, uh, that, which is, uh, is exciting. But then, you know, just to the, the other wrinkle, I mean, there's so many twists and turns to this story, is the apparent really sluggish start to the season that uh, that Mercedes had by really underperforming and having some pretty major issues with the W12 that we saw in winter testing just a couple of weeks ago. And it's, you know, th- th- that's the big question. I mean, uh, you, you see Mercedes struggling. Ferrari says that the straight line speed that uh, was such a big issue in their Achilles heel last year is no longer an issue. And then uh, you have Red Bull saying that uh, this is the, the best preseason that they've ever had. They, they, they top the time charts uh, in, in Bahrain for the, the, the winter test. And uh, that that's really fascinating because, um, l- let's face it, Mercedes, one of the key reasons that they've won so many titles is that they right from the very first race of the year, they've come out uh, running. And in, in many years, they've just built up this massive bank of points uh, over the first uh, you know number of races that uh, th- they are just a, a dot so far down the road before you even get to the European part of the season by the time you get to races like Baku by the time you get to races like uh, Barcelona they've built up a, a, you know such a gap a lead in the championships it's almost insurmountable yeah I completely agree I, I think one of the big takeaways that I had from winter testing this year is I and I think I said this last week, but I don't put a ton of stock into long form speed. I, I don't put a ton of time into, I don't put a ton of stock into their, their sector times. Like for me, winter testing is more just about reliability and pace and consistency and the number of laps the drivers get in the cars. Um, that said, Red Bull put in some terrific times, but they also showed a tremendous amount of reliability. Sergio Perez was supremely comfortable in a car that he's never driven in a meaningful way before. That, There was a lot of stuff that was going really well for Red Bull. And despite the fact that this year's Mercedes incarnation is very much last year's car, um, they looked very uncomfortable. That They weren't setting, and I shouldn't say they weren't setting great times. They were setting good times. But ultimately, Hamilton spun twice. The back end seemed really, really inconsistent. Like There's a lot of reasons to suggest that maybe at least the beginning of the season will be different than what we've seen in the past. Because you're right, Like in the past, you could rely on Mercedes to bank a ton of points in the first quarter of the season and the championship to be done. And then for me, emotionally, like how do I stay motivated to keep watching through Mm -hmm. the back half of the season i'm hoping i'm hoping that maybe the beginning of the season especially is different because if mercedes is on the back heel maybe there's some tension introduced and it drives some additional interest and maybe that's a good thing and i would also love to see hamilton and we saw this in 2016 I, i get it but i would also love to see him chasing a championship leader as well rather than just setting the pace and comfortably leading the championship i love all those points and i think and we talked about this two weeks ago especially which was Ferrari looked good 
Um, they don't look great, but it looks like they've got a significant amount of that performance back that they artificially lost last year, mm-hmm. and that could make them a contender. Because as bad as they were last year, Leclerc still had a couple of podiums. Like the car wasn't fundamentally broken, and they contest that they fixed the drag issue, and they contest that they've made up that power delta. So I think this is a great talking point, and it's going to be very, very fascinating to watch. Well, especially like if we go into the first couple of races of the year, let's just say, for example, uh, Max Verstappen wins in Bahrain. He wins at Imola in a couple of weeks from now. And uh, then you're in this situation that, uh, that which would be unprecedented, uh, Mercedes 0 for 2 going into the season and then having to to, to, to fight back. And I mean, I, no no disrespect to Lewis. I mean, he is one of the greatest dra- racing drivers ever in Formula One. I mean, he's arguably the GOAT. I mean, there, there, there's no discussion there. But I've said uh, for quite a while, I want to see somebody else win the championship. And 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 obviously, I mean, you know, you, you need that to sustain the the, the interest. However, like you say, it would be great to see him embroiled in a bit more of a you know a, a title fight rather than really racing off and uh, you know basically you know not having to worry about uh, you know too many people or even one other person uh, pushing him and I mean if it comes down to a, a uh, you know a really well contested championship and he wins I'm I'm totally cool with that I, I'm I'm totally you know I'm always for the best driver to to win but I you know that's one thing I keep playing over my head that that uh, maybe they don't get the first the the, the results going into the, the the first couple of races how that would fund fundamentally change the look of the season that uh, that we've been so familiar with since uh, 2014 and this absolute dominance uh, by uh, Mercedes uh, during that time and uh, <laughs> you know it uh, yeah there was w- one other thing I was thinking about too was oh yeah of course um, the, uh, the the one thing just going back to your point about that how their times were good but not great how many times have we they, they've just come out and say we're chasing perfection good is not good enough if it's not great it's 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 not what we're we're aiming for and and that's what I think I find is really interesting about uh, the issues that we saw with the car. And I mean, I, I don't have any doubt that uh, that they will be able to go back, figure out what the problem was, patch it, repair it, improve it, and ultimately become better because, you know, th- this is a development on the W11, which was so successful last year. And they said, this is the best car we've built, period, ever, as in all time. And I'm like, Okay, well, this is very strange because I mean there is very limited development that they've done on this car since last uh, last season. So that's why I found it so amazing that they did have their issues during the the, the testing. And you know, if we might be sitting here on Sunday night recapping the race and singing a completely different uh, tune because you know Lewis goes out and smokes everybody, and he's 15 seconds down the uh, down down the road by the time the checkered flag is waved. Yes. And I think yeah. the, the other piece too is, and we've talked about this so much the last couple of weeks, the other thing that would be really interesting about this narrative is that if Mercedes is on the back heel, um, the, the amount of drama that is going to explode into the media about Hamilton's contract situation yeah. and yeah. Bottas's contract situation, I think that's going to happen no matter how Hamilton performs. But if they're on the back heel right away, that's a storyline that's just going to drum and drum and drum all season. And I don't care what Hamilton and I don't care what Mercedes say, that will become a distraction because if that's the first question they get every single time and they're under the gun constantly and they're perhaps not leading the championship, I just think that could potentially become a major. And I don't necessarily want it to be a storyline. I want the storyline to be the championship and a really competitive kind of last quarter of the season. But I think ultimately we know how F1 works and we know how the media works and we know how social media works. And sometimes things like a contract story um, attract more attention than maybe 
maybe the championship itself. And that's been true the last seven years because we really haven't had any competitive championships. But I would suspect that regardless of the outcome, but especially if they're not as competitive as they were last year, that story will permeate the season right from day one. Yeah, absolutely. It it, it might be a story that they don't want to have to deal with, but it might be something that they're going to have to put up with. And and, uh, just uh, it's just going to be there. And I totally agree that if if they struggle or if they have issues, that it's just going to that 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 in that uh, that the intensity of that story is just going to increase over the season. But going back to Red Bull now, and and I think that you know just sort of building on that uh, statement that uh, Helmut Marco made a couple of weeks ago that this was or was it Horner? I can't remember one of them. Uh, anyway, so said this was the best preseason that they they they've ever had, and uh, I mean. The, the the way that the things are stacked for them right now, I mean, they're they're going into the season in a great position. They have a very good driver lineup, the best lineup that they've had uh, in their team since 2018, since it was Max and Danny Ricardo. Obviously, they've it's been up and down. It's been in flux uh, in, in between, and we've seen that uh, revolving door in that second seat with Pierre Gasly and then Alex Albon, and now you get uh, Sergio Perez coming in, and that's going to be an interesting story too because, I mean, he's only on a one-year deal. So, I mean, he's really going to be making his case uh, to, to keep that seat going into 2022 because let's not rem- forget, I mean, Sergio, yeah, he's one of the older drivers on the grid, but he's only 31. I mean, he still potentially has quite a number of years in, in for, uh, raceable years in Formula One in front of him. So, I mean, he's going to be going out to, to, to do everything. And I think his stock really rose a lot last year after he won that uh, that that race in uh, Bahrain. I think uh, really, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was really well earned. I mean, uh, that was one of those uh, races that, uh, you know, has the potential to say, you know, years from now that I remember that race. That's where he got uh, punted off the track on the first lap of the race ended up at the back of the pack and went on to win that one. It's it's definitely one of those races that will stand out to, in, in years to come. But yeah, I mean, they're they're setting up really, really nice. And uh, the, the Honda engine has really proven to be, I wouldn't say a revelation, but it certainly has proven to be a, a very good engine over the past couple of years compared to where they were in 2015 or so, those, those first couple of years with McLaren, which were well, we, do, we don't need to sugarcoat it. I mean, it was a, a complete disaster and uh, it was a big gamble that Red Bull took. But I mean, they kind of had that in-between year, the sort of try before you buy when they put that engine into the back. And it was all that sort of bizarre thing that that whole scenario, what with uh, Carlos Sainz going from Toro Rosso to Renault and the whole loan thing there. And then somehow, you know, they get these uh, <laughs> Honda engines in the back of the, 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 the Toro Rossos. And then they had this unique situation where they have the Honda engines in their their they're basically their B team and they've got the Renault power in their own team which they've known for years and years and years because they had so much success with them the prior to the turbo uh, hybrid era with the, you know with the normally aspirated engines when they won a number of championships and they were able to basically compare the data head up and then ultimately they went uh, you know they went with Honda and, you know, to, to their credit, they said, we will keep them in year one on a similar level to where they finished off with Renault. And they did. They 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 sort of competed and got the similar results as they did. And there, there's been flashes of potential ever since. And I think that it really is something that we're going to be looking at to see, well, not just for this year. You know, can, do they have enough power or more power compared to uh, the, the Mercedes or the Ferrari and obviously the Renault? But I mean, Ferrari and Mercedes are ones that they're, they're, they're basically measuring up against. And whether or not that... 
and the uh, the, the Adrian Newey led design team at Red Bull have designed uh, you know a really good car around that engine and whether or not that car the RB16B is it the yeah, 16 yep, yep, is is uh, you know a contender you know a legitimate rival to the Mercedes uh, W12 and that uh, that's going to be the big uh, question we, I I'm not putting a lot of stock into the first race of the year you know this is I mean it'll be interesting to see how you know what what the results are on Sunday evening but ultimately you know we'll have to take a look at this after two three four races because by then we'll we'll see everything kind of really settling in we'll have a good idea after the first couple of races to see where all the teams are and I want to get your thoughts on that but we're going to take a a quick break so you can just uh, you you can take a deep breath and then you can let her rip on the other side so uh, just hang in there guys we'll be back in just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And and Mark, that was that was pretty that, that was pretty evil of me to, to to pull the mic away from when we were all locked and loaded and and ready to spew. But uh, knowing you, you've you've just let it like percolate and and uh, and bubble beneath the, the the surface. So I'll I'll throw it back to you. I know I kind of threw out uh, you know quite a number of uh, little things, a uh, number of topics there in the last segment. So uh, take it away. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I think I've got one piece to add to that um, before we kind of speak to my number two topic, which actually ties in perfectly with everything we've just been talking about. The other remarkable thing about uh, Toro Rosso, now Alpha Tori being a B team to Red Bull, is you can do some pretty cool stuff there. You can you can bring in drivers, you can develop drivers in a B team while getting reps at the Formula One level, or like you said, you can test out a power unit. And I think people forget that in 2016, Toro Rosso was running Ferrari power units. They yeah. went they went Renault Ferrari with no factory support running a year old engines. And then they went back to Renault before they moved on to Honda. So you can do some cool things there without compromising the performance of your top team. So that's pretty cool. So I think building on everything that we just talked about, um, I, I think one of the biggest storylines for me, and, and I almost shed a tear during winter testing, like you see those Alpha Tori cars and you see the Red Bull cars and you see the big, bold Honda font on that rear wing, front and back. And I just, I shed a tear that this team could potentially, I shouldn't say team, this engine producer could potentially leave the sport, um, not necessarily at the pinnacle, but in a great place. And and I yeah. think if you've heard from the Honda engineers, they are incredibly ecstatic about the power unit that they're bringing to the championship this year. They talked about the fact that they've got a better center of gravity. The engine's going to sit lower in the chassis. It's a more compact design. It's a lighter design. The thermal efficiency is improved. They're ecstatic about what they were able to do last year coming into this season. So they're ecstatic. I love having Honda in the championship. I think it is a huge detriment to Formula One to lose a manufacturer like this. Um, I think it's a borderline, I shouldn't say a miracle, but I think it's very, very fortunate that Red Bull was able to negotiate a contract to buy the Power Unit IP. So we're still going to have this, if not Honda, at least we have this Power Unit producer within the sport. I think that's a good thing because my biggest fear about F1 always is that it it sheds its status as a prototype manufacturer and it goes to a spec racing series where every team buys the same chassis and every team has the same off-the-shelf parts and every team has one or two different power units. For me, that's a huge turnoff and it's one of the reasons I can't get excited about Champ, well, I was going to say Champ Car, but IndyCar. It's one of the reasons I can't get excited about that series and I always worry that that's the potential future of Formula One and we are going to see some steps next year towards that as we see more unified parts and things like that. 
But I think one of the things that I'm going to be watching most closely this year is what does what does Honda's last official year in the sport look like? And you know what? They've come and gone before. I don't think they're coming back. For all the reasons we've talked about in the past, I think F1 is less attractive to a general production manufacturer than it's ever been. I don't think they're coming back. But I want to see them have supreme success this year. Yeah. And I would love to see them in the mix for the championship. And I want to be clear as well. And, and I think I've quoted this on the air before. Honda's board was very, very divided about leaving F1. It really just came down to the chairman kind of putting in the the deciding vote, but the board was split even, even about whether to leave or whether to stay. Uh, but I think it's really, really sad. I shed a tear during winter testing. Yeah. And for Honda's sake, simply because I think it's good for the sport in Japan. And the other thing too, is we've got a Japanese driver in the sport now too. Like I think it's sad, but that's going to be a big storyline for me is what does Honda's last year in Formula One look like? Yeah, hopefully they can uh, they can go out on top. I mean, they've uh, done some wonderful things in the sport over the over the years. But I mean, since the uh, you know the eighties and the nineties when they they saw quite a bit in success. I mean, going into the two thousands, I mean, it, their their record has been a little bit. I don't want to say it's a, they were lacking commitments, but I mean, it's sort of been hot and cold the way that they've gone into the sport. Now they've decided more to, to concentrate on their road fleet of cars. And I mean, which is understandable. I mean, uh, uh, Formula One is a massive uh, kind of financial commitment to, at any level, right? And, uh, you know, that just uh, to, to your point about, um, you know, the IP being taken over by uh, Red Bull, I mean, the the amount of sort of like back end stuff that has been done and the business like that that has been, uh, you know, sorted out over the past year really astounds me. We had a new Concord agreement, the the, the, the cost salary, the fact that uh, that uh, they were able to, like Red Bull was able to, 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 to take over the Honda IP with, I know there were some concerns, you know, they wanted this engine freeze and some of the teams initially weren't uh, too warm toward it, but I mean, some of the things that uh, that they've managed to do in the past 12 months in the middle of a pandemic is is absolutely astounding. And they still managed to pull off a 17 uh, race uh, season. But yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to see what uh, what they can do in their 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 final year. So I don't know if that uh, went into your what you wanted to talk about. Or what was That's that your good. What, was That's that good? That that was your story. So so I'm up with the, with my. That my wasn't good enough. That, well, no, I, I'm not saying it wasn't good enough. I, I wasn't sure. I kind of lost where the segue from one to the other was so i didn't want Fair to enough. yeah i was going to take my next one and have you glaring at me or sending me messages here while i'm talking say hey you jerk you know, i wasn't done talking yet so all anyways good, all good. We, can <laughs> we can move Keep on we can move on so so my next one here and i i kind of hinted at it in the very first uh, segment is uh, how are the old dogs going to uh to, to fare this year in in Formula One, so I I, I mentioned it uh, in the in in like I said in the first segment, but there are seven drivers now that are currently over the age of uh, of thirty. Now in modern professional sports in Formula One, that doesn't really mean as much as maybe in the old days, considering how supremely fit these guys are. But there's some interesting uh, names in there. So you got Lewis, who's uh, you know thirty six. You got Sebastian Vettel, thirty three. Sebastian, sorry, Sergio Perez and Danny Ricardo, thirty one. Kimi Raikkonen, forty one. Alonso, thirty nine. And Valtteri Bottas, uh, I can't remember what he's at. He's 31 or 32 as well, if I remember uh, correctly. So, you know, the, the first name that uh, that really jumps uh, out of there is, uh, for, for me, is uh, Fernando Alonso. I mean, 
He left the sport a couple of years ago, you know, tried out uh, his hands in some uh, different uh, types of racing. He's been successful at, uh, you know, he's won Le Mans a couple of times with Toyota. He's had a couple of cracks at Indy, which, you know, hasn't uh, worked out uh, for him yet. I mean, he's got uh, two jewels in the in the ch- triple crown. All he needs to do is win at the Brickyard uh, to do what, uh, you know, has, has only been accomplished by Graham Hill back in the 1960s. So I know that is a priority for, for, um, for Fernando. But at 39 years old, old, you know, it's still, it, it seems, I don't want to say a stretch, but I do find it interesting, like uh, that, the you know, his desire to come back. I mean, he even said when, when he left the sport, when he left uh, McLaren, that the door wasn't closed. And, you know, I just considering the way that, uh, you know, some of his, uh, the, the ways that he's burned bridges during his career uh, with teams uh, before in Formula One kind of made me think at the time, you know, you can say whatever you want, that uh, you're not close, shutting the door on Formula One. But you know, there, there's some, there, there's definitely some baggage there that you you got to deal with, and there, there, you know, there was only ever going to really be a couple of teams that uh, you know that would seem as possible landing spots. McLaren would have been one because he seemed to get on pretty good, especially with the, with Zach Brown as the, the the CEO at McLaren, and then Renault or Alpine would be the 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 other one. So I mean, he's he's one that uh, that, that I'm definitely interested in. Uh, the the other one uh, too is uh, is Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, 41. I mean, he's not there to to challenge for a uh, for for a championship at this point in his career but I was uh, I was surprised. I thought after last year, I, I didn't really expect to see Kimi Kimi Raikkonen uh, back. I mean, it seems like he's been around forever. I mean, literally has. I mean, there, there's probably people listening to the show that weren't born when, <laughs> when Kimi Raikkonen first came into Formula One, which you know makes me feel extremely old because I remember when he you know broke into Formula One. So I guess that means I'm an old man. But uh, anyways, but then you, you've got like um, you know you take those two guys aside. I mean, Lewis kind of fits in the uh, you know in in the middle of these sort of 30 plus drivers and at, at this point as long as he has a competitive car i don't want to ma- be that guy to say i oh, yeah, i think lewis is over it i think he's over the top of the hill and he's starting to descend downwards you know he's, he's losing the edge i mean there, there's no sign of that uh what uh what whatsoever but then you, you've got some interesting names like in that that lower end of the that uh, thirty plus category with with Perez, uh, Ricardo, Bottas, Vettel, he kind of fits in there as well. I mean, the one name that really stands out of that uh, for for me is uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, four time world champion. I mean, he's obviously had some uh, issues the the, the past uh, couple of years, but it was funny. And uh, you know, I, I messaged you about this uh, the other night uh, when I said I, I'd sat down, you know, uh, to to watch the two thousand and nine Australian uh, Grand Prix. I mean, that's uh, you know we, because we'd been talking about it on the show not so long ago because I was. When uh, when Braun GP, who had just taken over from from Honda, you know, who pulled out the year previously, came and surprised everybody, and where you know, I mean, Jensen went on to win the the, the world championship uh, that year, but it was really interesting because uh, right at the end of the race, you have uh, going into turn three, and that's where Fernando had that huge crash in the the, the McLaren a couple of years ago. That you know, he, uh, amazingly, he walked away with uh, with uh, you know just some sore uh, you know uh, muscles and bruises and whatnot. But right at the end of the race, there we had uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Robert Kubica coming together about two or three laps uh, from the end. And, you know, it, I, I'd completely forgotten about that. Uh, but uh, going into that corner, Sebastian, he got a little bit uh, too deep going into turns one and two, got out of shape. Uh, Kubica would have been chasing him down. This this is the day before uh, DRS. This is when we had Kurs. We had that seven seconds of that uh, battery charge that you could use to get, what was it, an extra 70, 80 horsepower or something. 
Anyways, uh, Sebastian, he got a little bit out of shape going into turn two, and Kubica you know, was trying to pass him. They go into that corner. Seb, you, he he was ahead, but you know the way that they came together, and then ultimately, you know, the, the, there was tears in that one, and then uh, it led to a safety car because there was a ton of crap on the track, and then uh, and then uh, Kubica managed to put it into the wall afterwards. But it's just like, yeah, it 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 kind of it kind of puts some of Sebastian's issues or, or incidents that we've seen over the past, say, twenty four months into a little bit uh, more context that one i would have uh, totally put it down to a 50 50 uh, thing uh, you know incident between himself and robert kubica i guess that would have been bmw at the time wouldn't have it uh, but uh, that 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 was uh, you know so I mean he, he I let us just say that uh, he hasn't been a stranger to uh, you know incidents like that uh, throughout his career but I mean certainly he has a lot to prove to try and recommend or resurrect his uh, his uh, his uh, his career at uh, at Aston Martin and he's the one real name that uh, jumps out there with uh, an honorable mention to his former Red Bull teammate uh, Danny Ricardo who's taking a risk uh, going to McLaren and uh, you know he's uh, still thirsty for rin- wins and podiums. And whether or not he'll be able to uh, you know, deliver that or, or achieve that with a McLaren remains to be seen. Okay, so just to be clear, your your storyline here was old guys racing in Formula One. Yes, was that it? Pretty okay, much. Cool. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. You you touched on a lot of stuff there. I did. There, there's a lot to unpack. Hundred <laughs> percent. So I want to touch on Fernando Alonso. So I thought it was interesting. Um, that you talked about his departure from F1. And for those of you that don't know, he's a two-time world championship. He just missed the championship in 10, 12, 13, um, during that period of sustained Red Bull dominance. Um, He goes to McLaren in 15, um, has a tough year in 15. Despite a terrible power unit, he finishes 10th in the championship, 16. And then 17, the season is terrible. And then 18, it's terrible. my sense is that he didn't want to leave Formula One at the end of 2018. My sense is nobody wanted him. Nobody. I don't think there was a chance in hell that he was going back to McLaren. I think he had two shots with McLaren. He was there in 07. Yep. Didn't get along with Hamilton. Didn't get along with the engineers. Didn't get along with the media and the publicity department. He was gone. He comes back. He was vocal the entire time about how dissatisfied he was with the engine, how dissatisfied he was with Honda, the team. Like He was never going back. No matter what Zach Brown and things like that said, he was never going back. And I honestly believe that in the months and the year that followed his departure, they believed the McLaren Center <laughs> top to bottom like they just needed to clean it out and start fresh and and I think that's why uh, Nando and Carl Sainz were such a great breath of fresh air because I think as long as Alonso was there they knew they weren't competitive they knew they weren't great they knew they were in a bad place but he added a degree of stress and tension that wasn't helpful to anybody I don't think he was yeah. ever going back and I think for four years all of Formula 1 just watched this happen like it wasn't these weren't conversations that were happening behind closed doors they were conversations that were having during the race being broadcast on the air because he was saying this stuff over the radio. You know what I mean? So <laughs> well, do you, I think do you he's remember? very, very lucky. Sorry? Sorry, just, pardon me. I didn't mean to, to, to rudely jump in, but uh, just to your point, uh, what was in Russia, what was in 2017 and, and on the formation lap when the engine died yeah. and the engineer says, I want to try you this, this, and this. And he says, no, why don't you come out and try it uh, or do it? I'm done. And, you know, yep. basically rolled into the pits uh, before. Yep. Yeah, you can understand why a guy would be upset, but, you know, I thought, uh, you know, that's not really the way to, uh, you know, to, to do it because you know that somebody sitting there at Mission Control 
control. There's, hey, there's no F-bombs in this. This is going on air, you know? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I think the only reason he got this second shot with Alpine is, one, Alpine wanted a marketable star. He's got yeah. history with the team. He's got history with the Enstone factory. Um, there's a lot of personnel on that team that were there, believe it or not, when he won the championship, when they were Renault, before they, yeah. So there, there's some there's some history and some lineage there. So I think that's why his shot is, is there. Vettel's the one that I'm most interested in. We know Lewis is going to be great. Bottas will be Bottas, which to me is just boring. Um, <laughs> I think Ricardo, I think, I think the move was great for him. I think he went to a better team um, with a great culture. And I think that was a good fit for him. I think the other story that's going to be really interesting for me is Vettel, because based on what I saw last year, again, despite everything that was happening, the, the drama, the culture issues, the performance issues, the drag issues, he wasn't as sharp as Leclerc, and he didn't get a great opportunity to get familiar with that Aston Martin in winter testing. Like That's the other kind of senior driver that I'm most curious about, and also the one that I'm least confident in, just because of what we've seen over the last two years. Yeah. Um, and I want to be proven wrong, and yeah. that's kind of the segue, ideally, into my next story if we're ready to go there. But. That's the one that I want to be proven wrong on the most. Yeah, I just want to finish it up before we take another break here. And uh, just, uh, you know, to that point about Sebastian Vettel, we, we've all changed jobs at some point in our, in our lives. And, you know, after you give your notice, you know, a, a week, two weeks, whatever it is, you know, I, I can tell from personal experience that e even though that I may have given my notice because I'm going to a new job and, uh, you know, even I'm still uh, working hard to do what I need to do, it just feels different. And the, the difference with Sebastian is it wasn't made known right at the end of the season like it was for the Haas boys, right, right? right? He knew before they even got to the first race of the year that he was done, that, uh, you know, that that Charles was going to be the like the chosen one going forward, even though they said that they weren't going to have any number one driver in 20 and all that sort of stuff. You, you just have to think that uh, psychologically, it's going to affect him on some some level. And I think that, uh, that uh, Christian Horner summed it up nicely in Drive to Survive, saying it's like breaking up with your girlfriend, but she's still living in your house, you know, which uh, I thought was an interesting uh, comparison. But, uh, you know, the, the point is well made. And uh, it uh, it certainly is a, a fascinating story to watch. And like I say, I, I want to be proven wrong. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people have said uh, that, you know, you, you don't win the world championship four times and then lose it overnight. And uh, it's just uh, how much, uh, you know, does he ha have left in him? And, you know, how good is uh, the, the new uh, Aston Martin AMR 21? Anyways, uh, Mark, we will uh, go into the next, uh, uh, you know, the next storyline here. But uh, first of all, we're going to take another break and we'll come back. And then after that, I'm going to I'm going to virtually hand you the mic and you can uh, you can have your turn and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show. We're uh, breaking down some of the big uh, storylines we're looking at uh, going into this season. Mark, over to you. You're up. Uh, blow us away with some of that uh, that that famous, infamous insight and, and wisdom of yours. I don't know that any of that's true, but you're very, <laughs> very, very kind. I, I think the next one, and the third big story for me is, is Aston Martin, and it's almost yep. cliche because everyone's talking about Aston Martin, but it really kind of pairs my, kind of a couple of the things that we talked about. One, a Canadian driver in Lance Stroll. It pairs Sebastian Vettel. It pairs the narrative that you have this traditional, historical British manufacturer re-entering the sport for the first time in 60 years. It's a culmination of all of the work that Lawrence Stroll has invested into both Aston Martin as a road car manufacturer and Force India slash Racing Point as an F1 team over the last couple of years. This is the culmination. This is everything that Lawrence was working towards. And I'm extremely 
ecstatic, extremely excited to see how this culminates on the track. Um, is he going to see a return on his very substantial investment? Is Stroll going to be able to string together a really consistent year? And I'll be honest, like if you look at back at last year, despite a, a tough start in the first race, Lance had seven great finishes out of the first eight races in the middle of the season kind of fell apart. He got yeah. COVID. Then he, 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 he qualifies on on pole in Turkey only for a uh, physical damage on the front wing to cost him a race victory. Like there's flashes there. If he can string together a great season from front to back, if Vettel can compete for podiums consistently week over week, if, if Stroll can lean into Vettel and learn from his race craft and his approach to the race weekend, good things can happen there. I still, I still don't think that they're going to be competing for second place in the championship. And we'll get to our predictions in a minute, but I think the ceiling for this team is three but I think the basement potentially could be five. It could potentially be six, depending on how competitive ultimately McLaren and Ferrari are. So I think this is going to be very, 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 very interesting. But to me, there's still just a ton of uncertainty. We didn't get to see the car a ton in winter testing because of the reliability issues they had. Yeah. We haven't had the opportunity to see Vettel put in significant mileage. Now, we're now only hours away from free practice one at Bahrain. So by the time you and I wake up, um, he will have gotten some additional mileage in this car. So we might know a lot more come morning uh, Pacific Standard Time. But this is the story that for me is the most interesting one. The car looks amazing. They managed to uh, secure a ton of sponsorships. They've got a championship driver. They've got a young, very talented driver. They've got an owner that is pouring every imaginable resource into the team. Everything suggests that it could be a great season. Again, I still don't. Th- I still think third place in the championship is their ceiling, and I think internally that's probably what they're looking at. But I also think that realistically, they could very easily finish five or six. Yeah, so that's the storyline that I'm most interested in out of everything that's going to happen this year. Over to you. Well, yeah, I mean, you make a couple of really good points there. And I I can't remember who made this quote uh, during the winter testing, but they said, you know, there's no midfield or no, no, it's just a grid now. You know, it's just because you had like this real sort of gap uh, between the top couple of teams and then, uh, you know, Williams all the way at the back. But I mean, there's such parity already between teams like uh, Racing Point slash Aston Martin, McLaren, Renault, you know, all those teams that we saw, you know, like show moments uh, of brilliance uh, at, at times last year. I mean, we saw Ricardo get a couple of podiums. We know what uh, McLaren did. I mean, uh, you know, Renault, you know, the, the, as frustrating as they were, I mean, uh, it, it was, you know, they, they showed something. They, they showed something was going there. I mean, like, like you said before, they've all been uh, fighting for the scraps that were, were left uh, by Ferrari because they were nowhere last year. And there was, uh, you know, some real flashes from, from Racing Point that something very special could happen. I mean, I know that you and I are, are, are total homers. And uh, of course, you know, we're always going to cheer for the home guys uh you know the home team right but could you imagine if we're sitting here at the end of the year and we see lance in a top five finish in in the driver's championship i mean we'll, we'll be losing our minds i mean uh we'll, it, it might actually become too annoying for um you know all the the the, the listeners that uh, <laughs> that aren't fans of lance stroll but uh still i mean i i think that the potential is, is really there but i mean like you say we saw the issues that they had with uh, with reliability during winter testing and that's going to be the one thing that uh you know, could potentially be a make or break thing. I mean, they did last year design a very, very good car to the point 
that you know was detailed very nicely in uh, Drive to Survive season three was all the controversy around it. Not not just the brake ducts, which was such a detail, like a, such a you know such a specific thing that uh, that they went after and protested about, and they were ultimately nailed on. But it was just the, the whole idea that they they'd stolen that design concept basically for that uh, that RP twenty that uh, off of the other the previous year's uh, Mercedes was you know was that like a, a gray area was was it over the line but uh, you know regardless I mean it was deemed to be a legal car and I mean uh, you know I mean Otmar Safnauer even said in uh, in last year's version or sorry no it wasn't in, in, in Drive to Survive from uh, from last year uh, from season two I'm, I'm sorry it was a quote that I'd seen him give either was uh, in the in the media or as an article but uh, basically he said that uh, before they got the RP20 working well you know they'd actually regressed to where they were with the 2019 car just because you know they they decided to go with like the, the same concept the same aero concept that uh, that the Mercedes had used with the the, the W19 or sorry the W10 in 2019 and you know it just wasn't uh, it wasn't an easy thing to 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 uh, to, to figure out and it kind of t- took me back to the whole thing of like the Tupolev uh, TU144 and the Concorde you know the Concorde ski if you've ever wanted an interesting documentary go look that one up it was basically back in the 60s when the French and the British designed the Concorde and the Russians basically tried to, to to clone and make their own and Concorde was world famous and the the Concordski famously crashed at the Paris Air Show and it was a, a disaster so you know it was, and I mean they they looked very very similar so I mean just because you copy something doesn't you know necessarily mean it's going to work and I mean with like the Concorde I mean like the the, the shape of the, uh, the the wing and the aerodynamics was you know so advanced and it was just something that the Russians just couldn't match at the time so I mean you take that parallel and, uh, and and kind of bring that forward 30 or 40 years to the racing point, you know, the whole pink Mercedes uh, scandal. And it was interesting, too, just to how much that really pissed them off, especially Lawrence Stroll, how angry that whole, you know, comparison to the uh, the, the pink Mercedes really made him. But, uh, you know, it is fascinating to, to see where these uh, these teams are, are going to go and what uh, potentially they, they uh, could do. Anyways, Mark, I want to hit my last point here before we kind of draw a line in the sand and then uh, we're, we're going to do some predictions uh, after the, the the last break here coming up in a couple of minutes, but um, my last one is um, it's 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 just basically um, you know bringing forward something that uh, we were all talking about uh, this time last year, and it's like what is this season ultimately going to look like? Obviously, COVID is still here. Obviously, we're all in the middle of a pandemic, uh, uh, and uh, it, it's it's affected Formula One. You know, we, we've seen people test uh, positive for COVID just in the past couple of weeks. Obviously, we had the the Australian Grand Prix bumped uh, from its uh, traditional season opener to to, uh, to later in the year into November. So potentially, you know, th- there is things that could still change. And we, we saw how very good they were really able to change it up on the fly in 2020. I mean, the fact that we got a 20 race season in after that, after the delay, after it was canceled in Australia, to the point that we actually started getting, uh, you know, back to racing at the beginning of July, that was a very, very long break. And I'm sure there was a lot of work that went on uh, behind the scenes. And I, I know, I mean, we, when you look at that calendar and you look at what the, the pandemic situation is, in some of the countries around the world, I kind of look at it sometimes and I'm just like, I don't know, is this thing really going to go off uh, as planned or are we going to be sitting here with some free weekends in between, uh, you know, trying to fill, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, come up with the, with, with some content. Uh, your thoughts? I, I totally agree. I think, I think this is going to be, I think we look at the calendar for this year and it looks great on paper. Yeah. I, I still, I'm not confident it's going, at least the first half isn't necessarily going to play out as, 
anticipated. I, I think we've already seen just some disruption. You make that great point about the fact that Australia was bumped. Fortunately, we're still going to see a race in, in Australia this year. It's just going to happen later in the season. Uh, I'm still not confident that Canada is going to happen at all. I don't think they go through the effort of assembling that track if they're not going to introduce spectators. Um, from what I understand, it's a 60-day build to get that track ready, which means they need to start getting it ready within two weeks. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Baku is going to happen, I believe, but it will be spectatorless still. But I think as we start to get into the back half of the calendar, we'll start to see a greater degree of normalcy. And I think we're going to start to see more and more and more fans at the races. And it was funny too, because when I was watching Drive to Survive, I forgot how many spectators were in Russia last year. And maybe that was a little bit bold, but I, I think just the logistics of the calendar are still a little bit unpredictable. And I think things will become firmer and firmer, fingers crossed, as the as the season progresses. But I, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting. And I think the other thing too, and, and I only just thought about this now, and I know you've talked about it in the past, is if all things do fall into place, this is a 23-race calendar. It's like, massive. This is unprecedented. Like the amount of strain and stress that you're going to put on the teams during a pandemic as they hop around the globe is going to be unprecedented, especially when you look at the number of double headers and the number of triple headers and the lack of downtime during the season. We've talked about team principles. They're not going to be at every single race. I think that's going to become the norm. Maybe they don't need to be there. I think you're going to ultimately end up seeing teams that have to build multiple crews of engineers because they're not going to be available for every race weekend. They're going to need break. Like, I think, I think this is going to be a real stress test for the teams especially since I'm still confident that Liberty's long-term vision isn't a 23 race calendar. I think they want a 25 race calendar. And I think they want yep. to be racing from the beginning of March until the middle of December. They want two more races in the U S I, I think this is just, yeah, this is very much a stress test to see what they need to do for the future, not to see whether it's possible or as a proof of concept, but rather like, Hey, we're going to be doing this. Let's learn from a 23 race calendar and see what changes we need to make to expand to a 24 or 25 race calendar. Because I think adding those additional races in the U S are less about the hosting fees associated with those races. I honestly think F1 Liberty, if there was a track available in Miami, they would go to Miami without hosting fees because the value of having races in the US is the exposure that they get on TV. You want US eyeballs on those races, Austin's good, but if you had a sexy race in Miami, if you had a race in the Northeast, that does great things for the sport. It attracts younger fans, blah, 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 blah. So I think that's their target is 25, but 23 races, man, super unprecedented. And I'll be honest, like I was doing my head the other day, like how many podcasts is that? Geez, we're gonna have to spend 23, <laughs> but 23 Sundays recapping races. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, you, you think about it, we do uh, one show a week just a normal show and you got to add another uh, 23 shows on top of it. Uh, I mean, it's no wonder I was looking at it, uh, the other podcast that I did, uh, we got up to 280 something uh, episodes uh, up until the end of last year. And we're already on episode 234. I mean, if we're doing, you know, 80 episodes a year, I mean, that's going to blow the other show out of the water, uh, you know, pretty quick, but you know, like it's a chore, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the time flies by when, when you're having fun, but you know, I was uh, the, the one thing that uh, kind of went through my mind when you were just, uh, you know, breaking that all down was I just see somewhere, you know, Chase Carey sitting there sort of saying, guys, you know, if we can pull off 23 races in a pandemic, a pandemic, 
you know, 25 under normal circumstances is going to be a lot easier, you know, relatively speaking, of course. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it it is it, it's a monster. It's a mammoth undertaking to to do it in the framework of a pandemic. And it will be interesting, too, because I, I can see that Baku happening because that's not a race that, uh, you know, gets a lot of spectators anyways. I think it's under 10,000 just because there's not a lot of spots to put um, put grandstands around there. It's very much like Monaco, even though it's, you know, that the track is a lot uh, larger. I mean, it is in urban center there's lots of uh you know offices and apartments and shops and everything you would find in uh, you know in, in the downtown core of the city uh monaco is interesting montreal is interesting too because even though the track is on il notre dame in the middle of the saint lawrence seaway you know it, it's out of the downtown core so i mean i guess uh you know you could uh, you know you, you don't need people to go there i mean you effectively you could put uh, you know the formula one bubble on the island and just ferry them back and forth between uh, hotels and you know sort of isolate them uh, that that way but uh you know so i i mean i can see that one happening uh, without having to put the, the the grandstands up and you know that you know the race organizer probably wants to see people in the stands even if it's uh, say reduced numbers like we saw at uh, mugello or say the nurburgring you know hopefully not like we saw at, at sochi last year which was a like you say a pretty bold move by the race organizers but a bit of a different time i suppose but yeah it uh it, it could definitely change uh, i i you know i i'd like to say that it's it's going to it's going to turn out the way as planned, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm keeping my mind open and uh, just thinking that okay, well, we got twenty uh, twenty three races coming up, but uh, you know, I, I'm just planning that there might be some free weekends at some point uh, during the season. Let, let let's just put it that way. Anyways, guys. <clears throat> Excuse me, let's uh, just take uh, one more final break here on the Overtime Media Network, and then we're going to come back and we're, we're going to change up our season preview a little bit uh, different because uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to do our predictions, but we're going to do it mano a, ma- uh, a mano, teammate versus teammate. Who's going to do uh, better? And then ultimately, we're going to, I guess, uh, we'll, we'll go there and do the, the rather, I guess, uh, you know, normal thing and make our predictions who's going to win the championship, and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, well, welcome back back to the podcast, everybody. And uh, yes, it's that time we've kind of gone down over the uh, the, the past hour or so, breaking down some of the different uh, storylines and pulled on some of those different threads of things we're going to be watching uh, this year. But uh, let let's do a, a preview now. Let's let's go down team by team and who we think uh, is going to. Uh, uh, you know, who's going to come out on top in each of the the respective teams? Mark, do you want to take that one away? Yeah, I'm you want to start? With Haas. Um, okay. And I, I only start with Haas because they're the team that I'm least interested in and generally <laughs> despise. Um, but uh, I think Mick Schumacher, and I'm not going to go, I'm not even going to speak to the other driver, but I think Mick Schumacher, just because of goodwill and good wishes and because of his lineage, I think he's going to be the better performing driver. He won't score any points. He won't get out of Q1, but I think he will definitely outperform his teammate. What about you? Yeah, I think so. I think that uh, that that Mick has the pedigree. I mean, a lot of the feedback that I've heard uh, already coming from from Haas is just uh, you know that there's a lot of uh, you know his old man in him, and just the way he uh, you know he he you know he carries himself, and uh, just uh, also the you know some of the talent uh, like you you said. So I think that he will come out on top out of those uh, two drivers. You know, I, I think. I'm going to be really optimistic. I'm going to go out on a branch here. I'm, I'm going to say that uh, that Mick scores a point this year. I, I, I'm predicting. I'm going to predict one top ten finish. 
you know, I, I'm I'm just sort of feeling it, uh, you know, uh, you know, for him. And I mean, that that teams do a little bit of luck. I mean, uh, they've had some very very uh, difficult uh, times. I mean, it was detailed uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, uh, especially that episode of uh, DTS season three uh, when we saw Gunther Steiner in the middle of a pandemic going out and trying to get sponsors on board. So, you know, there there is a lot going on there. Hopefully, they had they have the funding to you know put together a competitive uh, season. But I, I you know I, I like uh, Mick Schumacher. Uh, I like him as a driver. I like him more as a person. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm going to say one top 10 uh, finish uh, for him. Who's up next? Where where do I we think, go from Haas? Williams? Well, for, me, for me, Williams. Yeah. And, and I think this is a slightly more involved conversation. I, I think we have every reason to think that George Russell will outperform Nicholas Latifi. I just hope that the delta shrinks. So last year, George Russell outqualified Nicholas Latifi 16 to nothing. Uh, Latifi ultimately did outperform him in five races, but that was largely because of reliability issues with George Russell's car. Um, George Russell massively outperformed him from a qualifying perspective. Yeah. That 16 to nothing is is not totally indicative of what it actually looks like. George Russell pulled that Williams into Q3 once. He pulled it into Q2 nine times. I don't know that Latifi, actually no, Latifi got into Q2, I think once last year. Um, So I think Russell shows the benchmark of what that car is capable of. I, they got to start splitting the difference in qualifying. I, I think George Russell will definitely be a better performer. I think they're both going to score some points this year, maybe one or two for Latifi, maybe 10 or 15 ultimately for George Russell. But I think Russell, there's every reason to think that George Russell is going to outperform Nicholas Latifi this year. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a big uh, question on that. I mean, just uh, based on what uh, what you said, I mean, the fact that he was able to take that car out of Q3 the number of times that he did, and then also, I mean, he was, you know, he was pushing to score points in that extremely uncompetitive car last year. And I think uh, Sebastian Vettel came P10, was it, uh, at uh, the Tuscan Grand Prix? And, uh, you know, he kind of said afterwards that, uh, you know, he he took the points, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he really felt, uh, you know, a bit of a bugger for you know, taking that away from George Russell who probably had deserved it. I mean, George had his uh, his issues, and I mean, he should have won that race at excuse me, at Bahrain or at the Sakir, I guess, the, the second race, but uh, ultimately for all the issues that uh, that they had. And then, you know, the thing was, the way that uh, that it all got botched up, that you know, not only did he lose his chance to win that race, he almost lost his chance to to, to score points. Would have would have been doubly cruel because you know he d- did so so well. I mean, when, when you sort of uh, carry all that forward, I, I think that George Russell has demonstrated last year. Just uh, you know, he he's still a young driver. Still, what was he twenty three? I believe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there there are signs that uh, you know he could be a very very good uh, racing driver. I think he really raised a lot of eyebrows. So what he did, filling in for Lewis Hamilton, driving Lewis's car, and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's really any doubts in the pairing who's who's the better, who's going to be the better driver this year. Totally, and I just I want to add as well that again, I'm not being a homer. Um, I still think Latifi's a, a very talented driver, and I think his reliability and his racecraft last year showed it. He doesn't make flagrant mistakes. Um, he's a smart driver on yep. the track, but he's got to find some pace this year. He's got to find pace in qualifying because he needs to put himself into a better position come race day, um, and then he needs to be able to sustain that pace throughout the race weekend, and I'm confident yep. he's going to be able to do that. And the good news is he's got a teammate that's extracting every every ounce of potential out of the same car. So like he's got this great benchmark and if he can learn from Russell and they can share data and they can share information, uh, he should be able to improve this year. And I I totally think he would. Yeah. Um, I'll let you go this time, but uh, Alfa Romeo. 
What do you think about the Alfa Romeo teammates? I, I think that they're going to be uh, sort of the same. Um, I, I think, you know, Giovinazzi, I think, is an interesting driver. I think that um, he's kind of, I think this is going to be a make or break season for him in Formula One. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, he's not the youngest driver out there. I think we kind of think yeah. that he's, um, you know, sort of in the, the, the George Russell, you know, Charles Leclerc, that sort of class of uh, drivers. But uh, if you look at Tonio Giovinazzi, he's 27. I mean, he sort of comes across as, as, as much younger. I mean, not that uh, 27 is uh, you know particularly old but I think it's a it's a make or break season and I think that uh, you know it's going to go back and forth between him and uh, and Kimi Raikkonen but I think Kimi is still proven he's still a good Formula One driver he's still quick relatively speaking in terms you know frame that in the perspective of, of uh, Alfa Romeo and uh, whether or not they're, they're going to be good enough to, to ultimately score some points I, I don't know I mean the big question I think that comes down I mean the, the car's going to be Okay, they're they're not going to be building one of the best cars on the grid, and I think the real Achilles' heel for that team is the going to be the Ferrari engine. If Ferrari delivers a, a stronger power unit this year, then I I wouldn't be surprised if they sneak some points here and there during the season. But I think ultimately, back and forth, it's going to go between the two, and I I think I'd still give uh, you know the edge to Kimi Raikkonen. If, if they bring some points home this year, I think uh, Kimi's going to I think he'll snag slightly more points than uh, Antonio will. Yeah, my decision was less scientific. Um, I went to write Giovinazzi, couldn't spell it. So then I tried to write <laughs> Raikkonen, couldn't spell it. And then I it just ended up writing Kimmy. And I'm still sure I spelled that wrong. But I, <laughs> I, I think all things being equal, I, I think this is going to be a make or break season for Giovinazzi. Just like yeah. you said, I think he's a great guy, great personality. He's been around the Ferrari team and the Ferrari factory for a while. Uh, I, I don't know that he's going to get a ne- second shot next year or another shot next year unless he puts in some really solid performances this year. Uh, Kimmy's continued to prove that he's a very, very reliable, consistent driver and his racecraft is still there. And I think there were moments last year where he had a little pay- bit of pace for whatever reason, and he was still very racy and he was still fighting in corners and he was doing the things that you want to see a former world champion do in a uncompetitive car. So I'll give the nod to Kimi just based on past experiences. Like the tiebreaker for me is he's a world champion and ultimately yeah. Antonio, or Antonio Giovinazzi is not a world champion, but and your, and to your point as well, Giovinazzi is not a young driver. He's 27. Like he's pushing 30. He has been around the sport. He's had a full-time drive now for a couple of years. He's been a test driver at Ferrari. So he's familiar with the power unit, the, the gearbox and all those kind of things. But I'll give the nod to Kimi because he's got that 2007 title. There you go. Okay, where do we go from here? Let's uh, let's pick uh, Alpine. Who who are you going to go okay. with with that one? Uh, I'm gonna I'm actually going to go with Esteban Ocon. I, I think Whoa. that uh, yeah, I'm Whoa, gonna yeah controversy controversy because I mean uh, you know uh, Fernando he's been out of Formula One for two years, which does not seem like a very long time in in, in normal life, but uh, Formula One has changed quite a bit. Um, and also uh, Fernando, I mean, he was in that uh, that that biking accident, cycling accident, uh, just only several weeks ago. Uh, he's admitted he's still not. 100%. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of things. He's got to get up to speed with the car. He's got to, you know, regain his health. And I think that um, that if uh, Esteban, uh, you know, has a good start to the season, that uh, that I think that, uh, you know, potentially he could uh, do, you know, better, at least in the first half of the season, but, uh, or, you know, at least in the start of it. I don't know. First half might be uh, pushing it. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily going to be picking up where you left off for Fernando Alonso. You are wrong, good sir. And here is why. <laughs> so yeah, so it's kind of interesting, right? Like you've got Akon racing for a French team in Alpine, but yep. ultimately their marketable star is their former world champion in Fernando Alonso. And I don't know why 
I just, I, I feel like despite everything that you just said, despite the fact that he's been out of the sport for two years, despite the fact that he's recovering from a crash, like I just have, and I'm not a big Fernando Alonso fan. Like I don't love the guy. He like his, his attitude at, at, at McLaren just, it really turned me off. And like, I appreciate how authentic and transparent he is, but I just thought he could have been a, more of a professional. I, I just, I feel like he's a very consistent driver. I think he's going to get really strong grip on that car. And I think he's going to be cashing in points early. And I think if Ricardo did anything last year, it's that he showed that there's really some strong potential in that car. And Renault had made some really strong strides in the last 12 months. This was a car that was on the podium last year, twice, which is remarkable. And I think if you put Alonso in it, I think he's going to be a competitive driver despite the age for, and I don't know why, like I just have more confidence in, in Alonso at this age in his career than Vettel for whatever reason. So for me, I'm going to give the, and I'm I'm making notes of all of these because I think we should revisit this as a podcast in November, (laughs) which is like, how close were we? How close, yeah. But I feel like ultimately Alonso is going to score more points this year than Esteban Ocon. Well, you know, Esteban was an interesting one last year because it was his first year back in Formula One because he'd lost his seat uh, the the year prior, so he had one year on the on on the sidelines. He was reserve driver for um, for for Mercedes, so I mean, he basically spent the entire 2019 season in the garage at Mercedes, waiting for you know the opportunity to fill in for either uh, Valtteri or, or Lewis, which ultimately uh, didn't happen. And I, I think that really set him back. I, I think that uh, towards the end of the year, we saw a little bit more. From Esteban Ocon. And I mean, apart from that one incident where when he took out uh, Max Verstappen when he was leading the Brazilian Grand Prix, <laughs> you know, I, I think that his stint at, at Racing Point uh, as a young driver at the time, I, I think he did quite well. I, th- I think he really showed some potential. And I think that uh, that one year, that uh, that year in 2019, sitting on the sidelines uh, really hampered his uh, d- development. So I think he'll definitely have a stronger year. So whether or not, yeah, I, I know I'm being uh, quite bold and saying he's going to be better than his two-time uh, world champion teammates, but definitely whatever happens, I think he's going to have a better year. Yeah. So here's the thought. And you know, I just, I had to look up the championship standings from last year. So I agree with everything you're saying. I think that year sitting out was problematic for his development. It's probably a good thing though, that he was around Lewis and that team. Yep. So he could see how a championship team operates. And like you're saying, sure. you'd awkwardly see him in the, in the garage at every race wearing the Mercedes apparel, but you know, here, let's flash back to last year. So Daniel Ricardo, driving for Renault, finished fifth in the championship with 119 points and two podiums. Esteban Ocon, driving the exact same car, finished 12th with half as many points. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty significant... No, again, Esteban Ocon... He had that that podium in Sahir at the end of the season, but that's a pretty significant delta between two drivers, right? It's not like they were both in the top six or the top seven. Uh, that was a tough year. Now, Ocon had some reliability issues and made some mistakes. He had four retirements, and I think Daniel Ricciardo only retired once all year last year. But still, that's a pretty significant delta between the two drivers. But yeah, you're right. So let's uh, let's see uh, how that wraps up. I was just going to say, before we move on, um, I think the only uh, bigger or similar delta that we would have seen between teammates last year would have been to, uh, between the Red Bull drivers, between uh, Max and uh, Alex Albon. I-, I can't remember. I don't have the numbers up in front of me what uh, what the difference was, but uh, it was a similarly massive gap uh, between uh, them. I mean, Max uh, finning, uh, finishing uh, you know so 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 far up in the championship. He finished, what, third, right? I mean, Bottas yeah, did have... 109 points, 109 point different. Yeah, yeah. Massive, especially when you're in a team like that. Well, why don't we, uh, let's see, where, where do we go from here? So we've done, uh, l- let's talk about Alpha Tauri. 
I, yes. I, I th- th- this is going to be an interesting one. I think that uh, d- d- as, as tough as it was that uh, Pierre Gasly lost his seat uh, with Red Bull and was uh, demoted to Toro Rosso, which then rebranded last year as um, Alpha Tauri, I think the move uh, did him good. I think that uh, Red Bull was the right opportunity at the wrong time for him. I think it just came too soon, but they just didn't have any other options. What with Ricardo leaving in tw- you know at the end of 2018, and the the fact that they just did not have have enough junior drivers with uh, super license points or anybody else that they could bring into the team that uh, they were kind of stuck and uh, ultimately I think that 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 uh, that hurt uh, Gasly but uh, despite uh, everything that happened, I think he had a very, very strong 2020. I think that he's uh, I'd say that maybe the uh, how do you want to call it maybe not the underdog but maybe the uh, unsung hero award for for 2020. I mean he won in Italy. I mean, he was sort of maybe the, the beneficiary of some, uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time when it came to the safety cars and everything like that. And I mean, if that lap, uh, you know, if that uh, race had gone five laps uh, more, perhaps he's uh, finishing on the second step of the podium uh, and, and it's Carlos Sainz that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, taking home the honors that day. But regardless, I think that uh, he's uh, done a, a wonderful job. And uh, Yuki Sonoda, I mean, Japanese driver, I mean, uh, he did very well in winter testing. But I mean, first year in, in, in Formula One, He's still a young guy, and uh, just the fact that uh, Gasly's had uh, a couple of years in the sport and seems to really, you know, found a really comfortable groove at uh, at AlphaTauri, I, I think just uh, based on that alone, unless uh, Sunoda comes out to, to be an absolute prodigy and completely, uh, you know, proves me wrong, which you know would be awesome. But uh, I, I think just uh, based on uh, you know the where they're at in their respective careers, I, th- I think you have to pick Gasly in this one. Yeah, I think Yuki's going to be awesome. I think he's going to have a great year, and I think he's potentially going to have a great career, but he's not going to finish ahead of Pierre Gasly this year. And you look at Pierre Gasly last year, this is a guy that in races that he finished only finished out of the points, I think three, four times. Like he strung together a, a great, you know, even aside from the race win in Italy, he had a really great compact year. Like he did some great things on the track. And and I think he's going to build on that this year. And I don't think the car is going to be worse. I think it's going to be better. Alpha Tori look, and I don't want to get too excited about winter testing. Alpha Tori looked fantastic. Um, I think he will probably finish ahead of Yuki, but I think Yuki will surprise a lot of people because because he wasn't necessarily racing in European championships all the way up through his career, mm-hmm. um, I think he's a little bit off the radar for the traditional mainstream Formula One press. Yeah, um, but point. I think he's going to surprise this year. But I agree. I think Gasly's going to outperform just just because of the experience piece. And I think for Yuki as well, this is a pretty daunting ask, right? A 23 race calendar with Formula One G-forces, Formula One grip, all of the travel, all of the media obligations. I think it's going to be a grind for him. And I think he's going to get pretty worn out. But I think he's ultimately going to put in a pretty good campaign himself, but ghastly for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we got uh, basically half of the grid down. Let's go and talk about, um, oh boy, uh, let's go with McLaren. Oh. Let's go with uh, McLaren. So uh, why don't you have that at first, uh, because I've got my thoughts on this one, but I'm curious to see where you're going to take it, and then I'll weigh in afterwards. So just the way you frame that, I know know you're going to try and surprise everyone here, Um, but it's funny because, you know, as much as 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 I think um, McLaren may have been disappointed that Carlos Sainz 
asked for the opportunity to speak to and eventually sign with Ferrari, I think they're in a better place than they were when they had Carlos Sainz. I think Daniel Ricciardo is an upgrade. He's won races. He's always been competitive. He's hugely charismatic. He's a great culture guy. I think he's going to do some great things for that team. I also think he's a better driver than Lando Norris. He had a couple of podiums last year. He's won multiple races in his career. Um, I think he's going to outperform Lando. And I think you're going to disagree. And I want to hear why. <laughs> I, I don't want to disagree. I, I just think that this one, I, I think that, the, that that Ricardo will be the, the the one that comes up on top. But I think it's going to be very close between the two drivers. I, I think that um, this pairing of Danny Ricardo and Lando Norris is very, very strong. I totally agree in what you said that, that he's an upgrade. Uh, uh, Danny Ricardo is an upgrade uh, on Carlos Sainz. And I think that he just brings a lot that I think that uh, I think that they're just going to benefit from them. I think that McLaren is sitting in in a very, very good place right now. They got they've got a decent car. They got a great engine. They got two very, very good drivers. And it's just uh, my only question is how close are these two drivers going to be? And I, I think. It really could, uh, you know, I, I see them finishing as high as third in the championship, but I see them, you know, very similar to like we were saying earlier about Aston Martin. I could also see them finishing fifth or sixth, uh, just depending how it uh, how it all shakes out. But I think in terms of the two drivers, I think that they're going to be pretty close. I, I think Lando, he's got a long career ahead of him in Formula One. But I, I think at this point, Ricardo, you know, being the proven quantity that he is, I, I think that he just has that uh, has that edge. Yeah, I could totally agree. Yeah. I think then uh, we can move on to the next team. So the next team for me, and it's funny because the order we've been going through them so far is the order that actually had them written until oh, really? McLaren. But uh, I think next we go Ferrari. Um, sure. And and for me, I, there's no debate. I think Charles Leclerc is more familiar with the power unit, the gearbox, the car, the grip. Uh, he's a more established driver. He has a race win, two race wins. Um, I think ultimately, especially with his familiarity with that car and that team, I think he's going to ultimately be the better of the two drivers this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, that they've got a good pairing in uh, in uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, and Carlos Sainz. You know wh- whether that's uh, say going to be as uh, as competitive as, as strong as I think that uh, you know it, you know that, that McLaren has with their driver pairing, or as uh, I think that uh, perhaps Red Bull has with uh, Verstappen and and Perez. I don't think that these two are, but you know that's it, there. There's a lot of question marks. We, we kind of know what some of the other ones are. I mean, all, all respect to Carlos Sainz. I, I mean, I think he's a, a very good uh, race driver. Whether or not he's going to be able to deliver in a Ferrari. That is the big question, and I mean that that uh, that speculation and all that uh, the expectations are, are just go up. I mean, we know that Charles is going to do it. He's proven it so far in his first couple of years with Ferrari. Now it's the big question: is you know can, can Carlos Sainz do it under that microscope and in that fishbowl that is uh, Ferrari? And I mean that 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 could be one of the, the you know deciding factors that uh, you know uh, you know really. Uh, how, how do you want to say it? That that really determines how he uh, does it. Ferrari is just all the intense pressure that come along with having that seat there. So, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, for sure, hundred percent. Charles uh, comes out on top in this one. Uh, I'll let you take the next one, but Aston Martin. 
Sure. Um, th- this one's interesting too. I, I-, I think that um, it really comes down to, like we were saying uh, earlier in the show, I think that a, a lot of uh, what their season is going to be based on is uh, the reliability. And uh, I think if they have, uh, you know, they- they've got reliability in the car, I think that, um, I-, I think just uh, based on where they're at, I think that uh, that uh, Sebastian Vettel will uh, be, uh, you know, come out on top of uh, Lance Stroll. Because I think one of some of the things that, uh, that-, that I heard, some of the feedback that came out of Aston Martin after testing was that they feel that he's going to be able to drive that car better than Sergio Perez did, uh, you know, as a racing point in the Force India. I guess uh, from what I understand that uh, you know, Sergio's a little bit more of a, a brutish when it comes to sort of manhandling and throwing that car around the the, the, the track, whereas uh, Sebastian, he's got a little bit more finesse, a little bit more graceful uh, driving style. And if uh, they, they've got a good car and that uh, car is reliable, I think that uh, that, uh, that that he'll, uh, I think he'll do well. Uh, you know, how well that is compared to everybody else. You know that that remains to be a you know a huge unanswered question, and I think that uh, that Lance will definitely have his moments. I, I think he's going to like suck up a lot, absorb a lot uh, this year, uh, year one of this uh, this Aston Martin uh, project, and uh, uh, I, I definitely I see at times too that uh, that that Lance could uh, you know outperform Sebastian as well. I mean we, we saw those flashes uh, last year with uh, you know with, with Racing Point and how he was uh, better than uh, than uh, than Perez, but uh, I, I'm still going to give the uh, the edge to Vettel. I, I think that he's got a lot to prove and i think if the car is good i think he'll be able to deliver my fear is that if i say lance it's because vettel has a disappointing year but having said that i just i think lance needs somebody to push him and and i don't think he's at the stage in his career where he's gonna just flat out outperform his teammate maybe next year maybe the year after i just i don't think he's at that stage um but my fear is that if he does outperform vettel this year it just means vettel's had a horrific year and and you know what lance may have been no better but vettel just really struggled but i hope and and you know what for the sake of for the sake of the Formula One spirits and gods, I'm going to say Vettel because I need to see that happen. And I think if Vettel finishes well, I think Lance will ultimately finish well also. And, you know, you just look back to last year. It's just, it was that five race, six race run that really derailed Lance's season. Yes. You know, he, he he retires at the Tuscan Grand Prix. He retires in Russia. I'm, in Germany, he's out with COVID. Portugal, he retires. He's 13 when they go back to, to Italy. And then he goes to Turkey. And then is that mechanical failure which costs him the, the the championship or the not the championship a race victory like if things had gone just a little bit differently he could have been a top five driver last year and yep. then we're not even talking about these doubts like the season could have been very different for him so i'm going to say vettel because i think if vettel's has a good season i think lance will have a good season because he's pushing he's learning all that kind of stuff but i think yeah i'll say vettel as well you've changed my mind <laughs> there we go. Okay, well, let's uh, we we got the the last two teams now. The top two teams. Uh, we're we, well. Let's go with uh, Red Bull. We'll save Mercedes because uh, they deserve to go last because they've uh, they they've earned that sort of spot of honor. Totally. Um, you know, for for me, there's no question. I think that uh, the Max Verstappen is going to be the, the the top driver in this team. the The only question that I have is uh, you know the delta between him and uh, and Sergio Perez. Without a doubt, Sergio is an upgrade on uh, the drivers that they've had in that seat, and Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly over. Over the past couple of years, um, the, the the big question is now: How is he going to be able to perform? Uh, is he going to be, uh, you know, is he going to be, say, a top five kind of driver, or is he going to be somebody that's maybe pushing for a podium uh, on a more frequent, more regular basis? I mean, we we know Maxwell. We, we know that Max will be pushing as, mo- as 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 good as he can, and you know, I, I hope it's not going to be last year where you have Lewis and Valtteri Bottas out front. <clears throat> 
excuse me, and then four or five seconds down the road, you have Max Verstappen, and then 20 seconds uh, you know, after Max, you've got everybody else. You know, I, I, I hope that's not going to be the case, but that, that, that's my only real question is how close to Max is Sergio going to be? Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I, I mean, ultimately, you look at the championship last year, and this is bananas. Max Verstappen finished third, nine points behind Bottas, but Max Verstappen had one, two, three, four, five retirements to Bottas's one, and he only finished nine points behind him. That's an it's, amazing it's, stat. It's crazy. Like I, I have no reason to think that Max won't finish second this year. Sergio Perez driving that Racing Point Force India mashup last year finished fourth. Like, I, I think to your point, like, I think Max is going to finish ahead of Sergio Perez, but I don't think it's going to be by much. And I, and I think, and we'll get to this in a couple of minutes. This is why I think the constructors championship is wide open this year, totally wide yep. open, but yep. I think it'll be Max. And I think Sergio is going to be there. And the question is not, Hey, how many points is going to be how close they're going to be so close. So I think that kind of wraps up Red Bull. Um, and I don't want to speak too much more about it because it'll kind of cut into our kind of predictions, which we'll get to in a minute. But finally, we'll just kind of finalize this segment with Mercedes and, and I'll let you go first. Cause I, think <laughs> go. well, I mean, the, the, the question is, uh, I mean, obviously it's going to be Lewis and I'm just uh, thinking how, how many races into the season are they going to try and drag out the narrative this year that, uh, you know, Bottas is a title contender. V 3.0. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. So, I mean, you know, no respect, to uh, to develop uh, Valtteri Bottas, but let, let's keep things in, in in perspective here. Until it's quantifiably proven that Lewis is not the Lewis that we've known all these years, then you know I, I don't see somebody driving the same car as him is going to be able to, to to push him. So that that that's basically it. You know, <laughs> I don't think there's really much in that discussion at all. Yeah, I'm done. Let's move on to our predictions. Yeah, it's obviously Hamilton. Obviously Hamilton. <laughs> for for what uh, Mercedes or for the championship as well? Well. Both. Let's let's uh, let's go to the let's go to our predictions. Unless you want to take a break first. Um, no, I I, I think uh, you know I, I've pretty much almost come to the end of almost everything that I have to say for the almost the entire show here, and I'm going to say just uh, based on what we've seen for 2014, is I'm going to predict uh, Mercedes are going to win both the drivers and the constructors championship this year. Excuse me. I do think it's going to be closer. And the only reason that I'm not going to throw it, say, to uh, to, to Red Bull to win the constructors or the drivers championship is just that they've proven to be too strong. And until I really see sustained and consistent weakness in them, I mean, it's possible that somebody comes out and has a strong season and beats them. And and I certainly hope that's uh, that, that's the case. But I mean, just based on the body of work over the the past seven seasons now, that um, you know, I, I'm really, really reluctant to bet against them. Uh, especially, uh, you know, that they they started the season strong and uh, they they finished the season strong. I mean, Abu Dhabi was uh, you know maybe a bit of an asterisk. We all we we all suspect that they had the uh, they detuned the engines to a certain degree, uh, just uh, you know for, for for some of the issues that right. they were they were having. But uh, you know. And until I'm, I'm proven otherwise, I, I just cannot bet against them. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think the championship's going to look different this year. Lewis is going to win the title. Uh, I think the constructors is more wide open because my sense is that Lewis is going to finish first. I think Max is going to finish second. I think Valtteri is going to finish a relatively distant third, and then Sergio is going to finish fourth, which is why the constructors is going to be more wide open than I think we've seen it in many, many, many years. Should have been closer last year if Alex Albon had put in a better performance and Max Verstappen had not had so many retirement and mechanical issues. But I think ultimately for me, 
Lewis wins the title, McLaren or Mercedes wins the constructors, but just Red Bull's a very close second, followed by McLaren, followed by Aston Martin, followed by Ferrari. Um, that said, though, I think those that three, four, five slots could be could be any order. It could be Ferrari yes. surprising us all yeah. third. It could be McLaren third. It could be Aston Martin third. I think that's going to be really interesting. But I think the top two are set in stone. It's going to be McLaren or Mercedes, and it's going to be Red Bull. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, well, you know, I, I don't really have too much uh, to add to that. I just want to, uh, before we go, just remind everybody that the top five last year at uh, at the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix, which, you know, wasn't very long ago, it was only back, uh, the, the race was only run on November 29th. I mean, uh, literally, <laughs> it, it's still fresh in our minds. Anyways, that uh, top five was Hamilton, Verstappen, Alex Albon, Lando Norris, and Carlos Sainz. Actually, let's go down top 10. Then we had uh, Gasly, Ricardo, Bottas finishing in eighth, you know, way down there. I mean, uh, you know, this sometimes boggles my mind. Anyways, and, uh, Alcon, and then uh, Charles Leclerc rounding out uh, the, the top 10. So some of the stats that, that, that we have on this one, uh, the race distance is uh, 308 kilometers, 58 laps. Circuit length is 5.41 kilometers. And the, uh, the lap record was set by Pedro de la Rosa way back in 2005, a lap record of 131.447. So uh, Pirelli's kind of, uh, they're bringing uh, their sort of, well, middle of the range uh, compounds We've got the C2 hard, C3 mediums, and the C4 softs, and it's a, uh, it's a. Uh I'm looking forward to it. Let, let's just uh, put it that way. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting too if you look at some of the stats here. Just over the the, the number of times that uh, this race has been held, you know, as I said, it's been held 16 years now. Way back uh, in 2004 is the first time. Split 50-50 between uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. They've both won there four times. Ferrari's won there the most. They've got uh, six uh, six wins, and uh, the fastest lap uh, of last year's race was a 132.014. And uh, that was uh, set uh, by uh, uh, Max uh, Verstappen. So still quite a little bit uh, off the pace, uh, more than half a second to, to uh, Pedro's lap record way back in uh, in 2005. That that seems like that that needs to be broken. That that seems like one that's been standing for a little bit uh, too long. Not to sound like a total, total, total loser, but uh, one of the things I love about this race, and it's funny too, because when they first started racing here, it was a day race, and they ultimately moved it to a night race. Yeah. But one of the things that I love is they have these small mini twinkle LED lights wrapped around all the palm trees, <laughs> and at night, it just they just kind of sparkle in the background, and when you see a photo of a car at night, they've got this big, beautiful bokeh. So we have this tiny, baby, two-foot palm tree at the front of our house, and we've tried to emulate what they do in Bahrain, so we've got these little white LEDs wrapped around it. I'm sure nobody in the world would ever figure out that's what we're trying to do but that's how much i that's how much i like the track that i'm trying to replicate the look and feel of the the, the uh the bahrain uh, racetrack in our front yard so do you uh do you also have the fireworks that kind of go off in sequence when you pull in out of your your driveway when you when you come home at night uh, for, from work you got the fireworks uh, going off because that that would be that would be pretty be pretty cool if we did, you live close enough that you would have seen them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. I'll, I'll have to uh, keep a lookout whenever uh, you're, you're driving in from, uh, from cool. a long day at the office. Anyways, Mark, I think that's all we got for for, for this week. Uh, you know, I, I think sign out at hour nine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I think that uh, we've proven uh, since we started doing the show to, together, uh, you know, a number of months ago, that uh, th there is certainly no danger of not having enough uh, to talk about uh, between the two of us. And uh, well, we're leaving it in a great spot. You know, it's it, it's finally here, the start of the season. I mean, we we've been pumped up and really amped about it for uh, for a good number of weeks now. And uh, you know, I know when we started recording the show 
that uh, free practice was still many, many hours away. Free practice is probably over by now, though the way that we've rambled on. But, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm just kidding, of course. But uh, anyways, I will leave it there. Uh, you know, I am starting to ramble, uh, speaking of. Anyways, if you guys want to get in touch, uh, by all means, uh, send us uh, an email, scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. Get in touch on Twitter at scuderiaf one pod and that's it that's a wrap enjoy the race we'll be back uh, sunday night to, to recap it and until then enjoy your weekend and we'll talk soon bye for now